turn around. What you're looking at now is nature. I'm trying to, I'm getting a vague sense here. We're talking about the coast of the Pacific coast of California. Some of the most beautiful natural scenery in the world. And what I'm talking about here is one of the most seamless transitions from nature to art that I have ever seen in my life. Okay. Now, what am I talking about here? If this were Greece and we were on the coast of the Aegean, you'd see something similar here. You'd have the rocky coast. And if you turned around at this point, you would see a Greek temple. A Greek temple was in many ways the invention of Plato. Greek temple is made up of geometric forms like the triangle, uh, the rectangle, and the circle. And this was the transcendent imposed on nature, the transcendental realm imposed on nature on stone. And that's where you would worship God because beauty is a transcendental and it's the closest thing we'll ever come to God on this earth. Okay? But nothing stays the same. And there were, there were problems that Plato and Aristotle had at this point. And the main problem they had was because they never didn't understand that there was a creator. They thought the world was eternal. So there, you didn't have to explain anything. It's eternal. That's it. And it's just, there's a transcendental realm where there are forms and there's a world we live in, which is constant flux and you can't know anything about that. And so all you can do is basically impose eternal forms on transient nature. And that's what the temple was. And you get a sense of peace because uh, there's order there and there's order and beauty and that's it. Well, that's not it, because what happened is that Jesus Christ became man. And at this point, you st Jesus Christ is the Logos incarnate. And the Logos incarnate means there's a creator. So in other words, this what you're seeing now called the Pacific Ocean in California. And that tree and those rocks have a beauty to themselves because it's a work of art. The only difference is God is the artist. And once you understand that God is the artist, you have a whole different dimension to understanding beauty. And the man who understood this, it took about a thousand years to figure this out, but the man who figured it out was St. Thomas Aquinas. Because up to this time, everyone was a Platonist. 
everyone felt that you had imposed these forms on nature. And suddenly he understood, well, wait a minute, if God is an artist, then you don't have to impose these forms on nature. What you can do is look at nature and the forms will emerge from nature. Well, that's exactly what Charles Green did. One of the architects, there were two architects, Green and Green, if you want to look them up. Uh, in 1918, 1918, Charles Green shows up in Carmel because someone bought this property. And what he did, he sat here for three years. Just camped out here, built a little house for himself. And he sat down and he looked at nature, the stunning nature that you're looking at right now. And he said, what is, what is nature trying to tell me? This is a profound truth that America never understood. The profound truth I'm talking about here is that grace perfects nature. This country was founded by Calvinists who felt that grace destroyed nature. Luther said that. Calvin said it because he wasn't an original thing. He just got it from Luther. Grace destroys nature because uh, nature is evil. Total depravity, that was the Calvinist view. And that crippled America, cripples it to this day. And so you have a bunch of cripples, a bunch of blind people trying to figure out how to get across the street. That's America. And this was one of those guys who understood through beauty that there was a transcendental realm that could perfect what God had created. And this building is one of the greatest works of art I've ever experienced because it is grace perfecting nature. So I'm going to go over here now. I'm going to walk over across the, the patio here. And I, I'm hoping you can see this because I want to talk about this is this is exactly what I talk about here, which you don't have in America. America has been a problem ever since. It's gone bad from its beginning. Uh, we had a, a, a moment of success, and I think 1918 was as good as it got, which is when the guy started this. But what did this guy figure out? All right. I, I'm having trouble seeing here, okay? What you're seeing here at the bottom is the foundation. That's the cliff. What you're seeing here at the top is the building. And what this, why this, is this so important? Because there's this kind of seamless transition here from nature to culture, which is the essence of beauty. Now, I, before I came here, I said the one place that epitomized this in my mind was Bavaria, where you had this kind of perfect mixture between nature and culture. What's the opposite of this? America. America, what is America normally? It's pale, where you walk through it and you're just bored out of your mind because it's nature without grace. And you've got a parking lot, which is a total violation of nature because some rich guy created a world, the interstate highway system, and you got to accommodate cars. And it's been a train wreck ever since. And we are now at a crucial moment in American history because the lunatics are behind the wheel. The lunatics have their hands on the steering wheel. 
and they're going to drive this car over a cliff. And I'm talking about the prospect of nuclear war in the Ukraine because uh, Biden sent some Jew there to negotiate and you never send a Jew to negotiate, okay, because you can't negotiate. That's the crisis we're in right now. This is what could have been. This is a testimony to what could have been. And I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to leave it right there uh, because that's nature. That's something that everybody can understand. But I'm trying to tell you that at the same time, I've had a profound experience of supernature here as well that is closely related to this. Let's talk about nature first, all right? So I've given you my spiel. I've shown this. Now, I'm going to put this down here. If this doesn't work out, I'm going to go inside, okay? Uh, but I'm going to sit down here with nature in the background, the beauty of nature. Let me just tilt it down a little bit. And... This point i'm going to open the discussion okay so you tell me what you think all right that's that's a good shot there jones perfect all right um now we uh we'll go to open discussion here we'll do audio first and uh then we'll do uh comments uh from the chat after that um just real quick for people who just joined us uh chat rules be respectful uh no trolls uh try to stay on subject uh, one question, keep it keep it one question a piece. And if you get off subject, that's fine, but just try to stay on subject. One question a piece, keep it a little short. Um, and then also just a reminder for everyone, at like the 40 minute mark, because we're using Zoom, the, uh, the, the it's just gonna disappear. Um, uh, I'll have to send Jones a new link and we'll jump right back in. So don't leave us uh, if everything goes away at about 40 minute mark. Okay, uh, let's see, to the chat here. Um, uh, any mods present? Uh, would you get first dibs? Any questions from the mods? I think we got Carl and Swiss Cat. If you don't want any questions, don't unmute yourself. You get first dibs. All right. I think we're good with the mods. Let's go. All right. Uh, uh, cheese steak. We'll go with you. And uh, once again, this is kind of a new uh, format here for us. Uh, it's the first time I'm doing this. So if there's any audio issues, Go ahead, let me know uh, vocally or in chat. So, all right, cheesesteak, we'll allow you to speak. Go ahead. Okay, can, can you hear me? Okay. Uh, yes, I, I, don't have, I don't have a question. I just want to tell Dr. Jones that I started, be, became a subscriber of a magazine back in like 2019, and I've been reading your books ever since. And from that date, I've I've tamed my passions and I've uh, expelled all my vices and it made me a better Catholic. I just want to thank you for that. You're welcome. All right. Awesome. Th thank you. Uh, thank you, Cheesesteak, uh, for that uh, testimony. Those, those happen I can't hear out. I can't hear, can hear now. Are you there, Dr. Jones? I, can, I can't barely hear anything right now. It was loud and clear and now it's not. All right. What about right now? Any luck? I can't hear anything. Can you hear me? All right, hold on. Let me, uh, let's see. One second. Uh, da, 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 da. Testing, testing. What about now? 
Tell the guy to speak. I can't no, hear no, anything. No, he was he was just making that statement. He's done. Then we're we're gonna go to the next guy. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for your testimony. I thought there was gonna be a question. Okay. Go to the next question. All right. Uh, Estefania. All right. We'll let you uh, speak. Allow to speak. Here we go. Hi, Dr. E. Michael Jones um, from Spain. Um, actually, I'm 20 minutes away from the world's largest cross from the Valley of the Fallen. Thank you so much for your live chats and for letting me ask you a simple question. Um, you, you mentioned last week that, you know, public rosaries, and I know this is a little bit off topic, but um, you mentioned that public rosaries are not really enough. You know, it's, you know, work as well. But how can we specifically in Spain and locally end, you know, this whole COVID tyranny? Because now it's coming back. They're, you know, going for masks again, and it's just getting crazy here. COVID's over. The lesson we learned was that you can't trust medicine. You can't trust big pharma. Uh, it's not, I, I don't think it's going to come back. They, they, they had their chance. They, 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 they lost credibility and now the next the next test is not going to be COVID. It's not going to be medicine anymore. It's going to be something bigger, a bigger test along the along the way. The biggest test right now is going to be whether the 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 uh, the crazy Jews who are in charge of our foreign policy are going to lead us into World War Three nuclear war with Russia. So don't worry about COVID. It's over. Right. And how what what can we do locally to, you know, to protect ourselves from that. Uh, you have to do what I said before. Are you are you baptized? Yes, sir. Okay, then you have to uh, pray that God will deliver us from this moment that we're facing. You have to be right with God. The man before said he for since 2019 he learned how to control his passions. That's what we have to do. We have to prepare for this conflict that is coming up because the conflict will lead to our deliverance if we are prepared to deal with it. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. Next chat. All right, I think uh, Squirtle Nationalist, you look familiar. Let's uh, give you the floor. Girl Nationalist, all yours. Make sure to unmute. Squirrel Nationalist. Oh, oh, you there? Thought I heard something. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll mute you. Maybe we'll get back when you're ready. All right. Um, uh, Hegel's Owl, you're next. I'll let you speak. Make sure to uh, unmute yourself when I allow you to speak. Hegel's Owl. Hello, Dr. Jones. Hello. Thank you for taking my question. Um, you mentioned grace and the relationship between grace and aesthetic beauty. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? I didn't quite understand the point you were trying to make. Yeah, there's a profound uh, Catholic truth. Grace perfects nature. It doesn't destroy it. This was abandoned at the time of the Reformation uh, with Luther, who felt that grace destroyed nature because there was something evil about nature. 
the, the, we could not, a, a moment of pessimism entered European life after the huge expression of optimism that resulted in the greatest art that the world had ever seen. Pessimism entered European thought with Luther uh, because he said that uh, God does not forgive sin. He covers over sin with his grace. Uh, his image was snow covering shit. That's not the Catholic teaching. Why did he say this? Because Luther could not control his passions. And so because he couldn't control his passions, he made a virtue out of his sin. And that is always a bad thing to do. And this entered, this a corrupting influence started to spread through Europe. Now, the man who internalized this was John Calvin. John Calvin added nothing new theologically to what Luther said. But he was a lawyer and he codified it into a legal system, a quasi-legal system. And this had huge influence in the English-speaking world uh, with a group called the Puritans, who became Calvinists. This turned them into, you couldn't talk to these people because of this. They were completely impossible to talk to because of the other tenet of Lutheranism, which is sola scriptura. So every Every crazy crackpot Englishman thought he had the right to interpret the gospel according to his own light, didn't need the church, and it led to total chaos. And the sane Englishman realized, we got to get rid of these people. They're called Puritans. They killed the king. And so they drove them to America. And this is the beginning of America. You've got these lunatics. No one can talk to them. And I'm not just talking about them. The Quakers who ended up in Boston. I'm talking about where I, I'm sorry, the, the Puritans who ended up in Boston. I'm talking about the Quakers who ended up in Philadelphia, where I grew up. You cannot talk to these people. And so as a result, you have this conflict between nature and culture that led to the ecological catastrophes of the 20th century. And I'm saying that this is a this is a man, the man who did this house, and what I showed you was a man who was profoundly uh, profound understanding of American culture and thought that beauty might resolve this issue. I think he was right. I think that's exactly what he did here. He did it in stone. And so I, I humbly, in my humble way, I take pride in my humility. Uh, you have to explicate what I showed you. You have to explicate that foundation and the relation to the foundation of this building to the cliff that is based on as a way of understanding American culture. That's what I'm trying to do. Did that help? Yes, it did. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, let's see. What do we got here? Uh, Alvero, you're up next. Make sure to unmute after I'm Unmute you. Albero. Hello. Uh, barely, just barely. Okay, I'm sorry. So what about now? Yeah, better? About the same. Dr. Jones, can you hear him? Just barely. Turn up your volume. Okay, I'm sorry. Move closer to the microphone. Better. Okay, just speak loudly and I'll... Hello. I'm sorry. Wait. Uh, just. Oh, where'd he go? 
Oh, I think he disappeared. All right, that's all right. Uh, we'll hit the uh, next guy here. Uh, and then just to remind you, Dr. Jones and the chat. Yeah, we'll we'll get we'll get you, Eldro. Um, just to remind remind everyone that uh, we're using Zoom for this particular event. It has a forty minute mark to where everything disappears. So within five ten minutes, <clears throat> Dr. Jones' screen will disappear. Don't worry, I'll send him a new link. He'll be right back. You guys have to just hold up in the chat. Just a preliminary warning. All right, Pablo. We'll let you speak. Floor is yours. Make sure to unmute. Hello, Dr. Jones from Spain. Sorry because I'm sick. And I I, I want to ask you about if you, if you can talk about the connection between nature and art. This is about the concept of my message. Do you think, and also I, I want to ask you, if, do you think that contemporary art is a disconnection of the human soul with, res with respect to the reality, to the laws? This is my yes. question. Yes, okay. Already... About, my, about my message and this part of contemporary art. Okay, so yes, you're right. Uh, my, Aristotle said that uh, art is mimesis. So art is imitation of nature. Aristotle was right. That's all it is, that's all it will ever be. But over this period of time, man has invented ways to become, to become more and more accurate in his portrayal of nature. And I'm saying in the book, uh, the, the, the main breakthrough came at the time of Giotto in Italy. And Vasari, who's a chronicler of Italian art, said Giotto broke with Greek models. Greek models are a shorthand for Platonism, where you have to impose forms. Giotto understood now, because he was a Catholic, because he was living in Italy, because of the incarnation, that nature was, uh, you could imitate nature in a new way. And so he started to put background. He did away with the icon. The icon has a plain gold background because gold symbolizes eternity. We don't need that anymore. There is a form to nature because creation means that God is an artist. Okay, this led to the greatest outburst of art in human history and it all happened in Europe. So the book covers art, uh, mimesis in the visual arts in Italy uh, during the 15th, 16th century. It covers mimesis in music in Germany in the 18th century. It covers mimesis in poetry in England in the 19th century. All great achievements. And then we hit the 20th century and guess what happens? The Jews take over art. And I'm talking specifically about incidents like uh, Mr. Conweiler, the German Jew shows up in Paris in 1907. He finds a guy named Picasso. He puts him together with a guy named Brock and they create this new movement called Cubism. And at this point, we are breaking with mimesis. We are starting the move away from mimesis. Now, Picasso always had a tenuous connection to mimesis, but he was always trying to distort it uh, because of his unruly passions. And I deal with this in the book. So when Picasso, he was a womanizer, whenever he falls in love with a woman, it is a realistic portrait. And then after he... Uh, he's filled with sexual disgust because of his sexual exploitation of the woman. He starts uh, creating this cubist distortion. So if you want a good example, type in Dora Maar, 
uh, you'll find a realistic portrait, you'll find the Cubist distortion. Over this period of time, when the Jews took over art, they turned it into a way of making money. And the culmination was abstract expressionism. Castelli in New York comes in at the tail end and creates a movement that is completely divorced from reality, no mimesis whatsoever, and that's the end of art. Okay, that's the whole story in a nutshell. Did that answer your question? Thank you. I really much appreciate. And I want only one one more question. It's, it's a, a kind of personal, but what is your favorite author of poetry, for example? A poet, your favorite poet. <laughs> I don't have favorites. I don't have favorites. So, I mean, I cover Wordsworth and Coleridge in the book. They were a very important movement. I have remember I have memorized the poetry of Wordsworth and Coleridge, which is a tribute to the beauty of these things because you can only re you, you memorize it because it's beautiful. So if you're asking me, uh, professionally speaking, uh, start with Coleridge and Wordsworth. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. You're welcome. Mr. Holden. Don't forget to unmute. Hold, there we are. Can you hear me? I can hear you. All right. Dr. Jones, it's uh, it's an honor to talk to you. I'm a huge fan of your work and uh, have been reading you for years. Um, I'm interested to know what your uh, opinion is about the resurgence of Eastern Orthodoxy in Russia and uh, whether that is a uh, testament to uh, the truth of Fatima, um, or or do you think that Russia needs to convert to Catholicism? Yes, it is. First of all, it is a tribute. Uh, it is uh, basically the fulfillment of Fatima. Uh, Russia is now a Christian country. Uh, now, this we're talking about a long period of time. Uh, from the message of Fatima to the actual consecration, which took place in 1984 when Pope John Paul II did it. Now, there were numerous opportunities before that time that simply did not happen. Things take place in time. And so what I, what I think I'm saying here is if this had taken place earlier and we had more experience of uh, religious revival in Russia, we might have come to some type of reconciliation between Russian Orthodoxy and Catholicism, which would have been part of the fulfillment of God's plan because God wants some type of unity. As it stands right now, we have exactly the opposite happening, okay? Because of our reckless Jewish foreign policy, we have now demonized Russia again, and we're driving them back to that the the default setting of Russian orthodoxy, which is nationalism and xenophobia, which is, you know, I can understand it's a natural reaction. We deserve it because of the reckless policy that NATO is doing. But that doesn't change the fact that Russia is now a Christian country and that the message of Fatima has been fulfilled. 
Thank you, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. All right, uh, next question. Here we are. Polis Arkham. We'll let you speak. Floor is yours. Make sure to unmute. All yours, Holis. I'm, I'm sorry, I was muted. Uh, thank you, Mr. Jones, for uh, being on Telegram. Um, uh, it's very happy to see you here. Um, so I'm sorry, I just wanted to ask if you were um, if you were at all familiar with the argument for preterism. Um, have you heard of this term before? No, I'm not familiar at all. Can't answer anything on it. Okay, that's fine. It's uh, um, basically that uh, Emperor Nero was the Antichrist, and there's been uh, a thousand years added to our timeline, and that the Millennial Kingdom actually already occurred, and we're currently in the little season. So that's just a summary, and uh, I wanted to put that out there. Um, okay, uh, we are in the, uh, the fulfillment, the kingdom has been fulfilled. We are living in that world right now, but, uh, it doesn't mean that it would be better because they're holding back the fulfillment of the prophecy, even though no one can hold back God's plan. This is all part of God's plan. It is inevitable. I think America is moving in the right direction now with the overturn of Roe versus Wade. We're seeing the beginning of the end of the Jewish domination of our culture. And I think that's a good sign. So uh, that's all I can say at this point. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. All right, what next, what next? Um, let's see, Squirtle Nationalist, you look familiar. Did I ask you something already? We'll give, we'll give you the floor, Squirtle Nationalist. Make sure to unmute, floor is yours. Thing one, two. Okay. Um, if, uh, if art is a transcendental, how much should a person's tastes be changing as they pursue holiness? If beauty, uh, first of all, art is not a transcendental. Beauty is a transcendental. Oh, beg your pardon. Complete fulfillment of art. So are you saying how much should taste change? How, how, what is possible in terms of change, in terms of art? Change is always ruled by mimesis. If you're abandoning mimesis, you're abandoning art, and that's the story of the 20th century. What I mean is, um, you know, I'm a I'm a, a relatively recent convert, and there's there's music that I used to listen to that I don't like, and there's movies that I used to watch that I don't like. But you know, moving forward, how am I? How am I to be sure when I'm trimming the fat or when I'm being sort of a Puritan? If it's beauty, you can't argue with beauty. Beauty is a transcendental. If you find it beautiful, it's good. Transcendentals are transposable. The good and the beautiful and the true are all the same thing. So if you're in contact with the beautiful, you know you're also in contact with the true and the good. And that's all you need. Truth is beauty, and beauty is truth. That's what Keith said, and he was right. For once, an Englishman got it right. 
Thanks a lot. You're welcome. All right. Uh, we'll do uh, one more question here uh, with the audio chat, and then we're going to go to the, the questions uh, and text. All right. The TXYX, we'll let you speak. The floor is yours. Make sure to unmute. Uh, I'm here asking for Carl because he wanted me to ask for him since he cannot really ask at the moment. He's asking, what are your thoughts on the development of the West? For example, Boris Johnson's resignment, um, Shinzo Abe's assassination, Dutch, Polish, and Italian farmers' protest, and Russia's rise in geopolitics. Yes, what we're seeing is the end of the American empire. Uh, and uh, the people like Boris Johnson was a classic example of uh, a, a man who's going to pursue a failed policy. The failed policy is NATO. NATO should never, they should have abolished NATO in 1991 when the Soviet empire failed. That would have been a, a great thing. America could have retained some type of moral leadership at that point, but a group of people who were determined to take over the world and fight the last war brought this crisis. So as I experience keeps an expensive school, but fools will learn in no other. And so the problem is America seems determined to learn this lesson that you can't fight the last war, okay? So learn this lesson in the expensive school of experience. Now let's pray that they can learn it in the school of experience without us getting all destroyed. Does that answer your question? Yeah, thank you, Mr. Young. All right. Thanks, guys, for your questions. Um, if you couldn't uh, ask something, there's always next week. Uh, or you can just uh, try to stick it in the chat, and hopefully we'll get to you. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, oh, the first question that was asked, you basically answered it. Asked about current events, Roe v. Wade, Georgia Guidestones, Boris Johnson. And, okay, Actually, I suppose the one thing in that question that wasn't asked Georgia Guidestones, Dr. Jones, have you heard about those? Do you have any opinion on those? Who's this? What's this chick? Uh, George, Georgia who? Guidestones. There are these. Um, I, never, I think I met this chick once. No. <laughs> I think I shared a joint with her at Woodstock. George, oh, that's okay. Perfect. All right. So Georgia Guidestones. Damn thing about Georgia Guidestones. Yeah. I'm sorry. She, I don't even know what happened. Tell me what happened. Well, the, the Georgia Guidestones are these, um, these, this weird monument that's been built in Georgia by a mysterious person. R.C. Christian was supposedly the person who built these guidestones. I've heard that uh, it's the Rosicrucians, supposedly, R.C. Christian, Rosicrucians. There's theories that L. Ron Hubbard built this thing. Anyways, on each guidestone, there's four pillars coming out, a brick on top. And uh, they all have different texts, Hebrew, uh, Russian, English, what ha German. And basically, it gives New World Order principles. It was mysteriously built, like, at the end of the 70s, I believe. And, you know, a, a half a million people, world population being perfect, uh, you know, balance with nature. Uh, it talks about laws, tempered reason, basically New World Order principles in the mysterious monument in the middle of Georgia. And it, it was a, a someone, a, a, a good person, I suppose. I wouldn't just call him a terrorist. Uh, it, he blew up uh, one of these uh, guidestones. And uh, the Georgian government, or the Georgia government, uh, it's the state of Georgia, not the country, decided to demolish the whole thing. And it seems like a big win uh, for us. It seems like people people are realizing that New World Order 
principles are, are good. I accept your interpretation. Next question. All right. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's continue. Let's continue. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. Uh, Dr. Jones, uh, is the resurgence of Eastern Orthodoxy in Russia evidence of the fulfillment of Fatima? Does Russia yes. still need to have to convert? Did we answer that one already? Well, go, go ahead. Answer that. Yes. Okay. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Convert. Good job, Russia. All right. Pardon me for a time. Okay. Should I put my hand? Oh. Uh, uh, what is the difference um, uh, with the current Biden inflation and the inflation of Europe during the... What is the difference between current Biden inflation and the inflation of Europe during the 16th century? The 16th century? 16th century inflation was caused by the influx of gold. Okay, this is this is completely different uh, than that. At that point, gold was money. So if you increase the money supply dramatically, uh, basically, uh, you're going to drive up prices. And that's what happened when the gold and silver flowed in from uh, from the Spanish colonies. Uh, since that time, we have learned that the government can create money, but the temptation is always the same to print your way out of problems. And the Democrats have done this repeatedly. And Biden is a classic example of the Democrat who thinks he can print his, print money and solve all of his problems. And what he did was create inflation. So in that sense, they're similar. All right, good question there. Here's another good question. Does a darkened mind perceive beauty differently? Does the reprobate mind find beauty in inversion? Okay, so the soul uh, has to be attuned to reality in order to perceive beauty. If you have a disordered soul, you're going to love disordered music. And that is the story of America, uh, uh, rap music. I hope I don't offend all my rap musician fans out there, but this is disordered music. Too much passion, not enough reason, uh, too much thump, thump. Not enough, uh, 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 what can I say? It's not beautiful, but it appeals to the disordered soul because, uh, as I said, beauty, the true, beautiful, and the good are transcendentals. So if you're not pursuing the good in terms of moral life, you're going to love what is ugly. That simple. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, what's your opinion on Emily Dickinson, Dr. Jones? The Bell of Amherst, okay, great poetic genius who lived off by herself uh, in a constricted Puritan culture, and, you know, God bless her. If she lived in a Catholic culture, it would have been a better story, but God can create great good out of evil, and this was beautiful, beautiful poetry composed by a lady that transcended the bounds of a very constricted Calvinist culture. All right. Uh, next question. Dr. Jones, what do you think about Viktor Orban, the pr uh, Protestant Hungarian prime minister? Viktor Orban is one of the great statesmen of our day. He is a man who represents the people of Hungary. This is precisely the transition that has to take place throughout Europe. He's the only man in Europe who represents the people who elected him. George, uh, uh, Victor Orban went toe to toe with George Soros's money. George Soros is a Hungarian Jew. 
They pumped a lot of money in there, and the people of Hungary chose the man who representative who represents their interest, and they repudiated George Soros. This is what has to happen throughout Europe, in the United States, and throughout the world. We have to return to representative government. We have to start choosing leaders who represent the people and not the money uh, behind the scenes. All right. Alivero asks, uh, Dr. Jones, uh, you think we need to uh, go to rural areas due to um, uh, potential starvation? No. Right. No. No. I, I Look, I just did a piece on uh, Michigan and uh, Rainbow Farm and uh, 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 a homosexual dope-smoking hippie who thought that he could go to a rural area and escape from civilization and the rules that govern civilization, and it never works. It doesn't work. You can't escape from your nature. But there's because there were so many woods in America, because it was basically a, a virgin land mass with uh, you know, hunter-gatherers as opposed to a civilization. People, Americans were always tempted to go off into the woods and think that they could survive there without any civilization. Doesn't work. Aristotle got it right. Man is by nature a political animal. Anthropos pusei politikon zoon. Politikon can also mean a creature who lives in cities. By nature, we live in cities. So God bless the farmers. They provide our food, but that's not where uh, most people are going to live. All right. And then uh, real quick, this isn't a question here. I want to I want to ask you this. Uh, speaking of farmers, the Netherlands is completely shut down. The Dutch farmers have uh, risen up against the tyranny around them and shut down the whole nation. Uh, what's going on there? Uh, what's your take on that, Dr. Jones? This is another uprising against oligarchic rule, very similar to the Yellow Vest protest in France. The world can't take oligarchic rule anymore. It's becoming completely intolerable. And in this situation, you've got these crackpot green politicians who think that cow farts are going to destroy the world. This is absolutely crazy. These people have to be repudiated. They have to be driven from office before they destroy uh, civilization. So I see it as exactly analogous to the uh, repudiation, the fact that Boris Johnson has been driven from office. Now I think the, the lunatic Greens also have to be driven from office, and we have to have representative government that represents the Dutch people, the Dutch people are, for a large part, farmers, and they have dairy farms. I lived uh, ten, six, six miles away from Holland. I drove, rode my bicycle there on a regular basis, so I know whereof I speak. This is not going to end the world, okay? The fact that Dutch farmers have been uh, having cows on their meadows uh, for centuries, it's not going to be the end of the world. The people who are in charge are going to bring about the end of the world. That's why we have to drive them from office. All right. And I think you uh, might have answered this next question in the beginning of the chat, but for people who weren't here, um, uh, when's the expected release date of the beauty book? That's a good question. I started off at the beginning. I am worse than at square one. The printer screwed up the entire printing after waiting months for the paper, and I don't know where we stand right now. 
Now, I am trying to view this as adversity. There's always a lesson in adversity. And I think what I learned here uh, at, at the what I mentioned at the beginning of the program, which I'm not going to go into, but I have a, under, a much more profounder understanding now of the dangers of beauty than I had before I arrived at this heaven on earth here in Carmel, California. I think this may be way of God's, God's way of telling me I have to incorporate this into the book. That's, that's my state of the art, honest assessment of what has been a thorn in my side for eight months now. So another chapter, you think? I think I'm definitely going to write about this, and I think God may be telling me that I have to include this chapter in the book before I to have a really profound understanding of the dangers of beauty. I think I understand that much better now than I did a week ago. God's providence at work there. I think that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, Cicero rules. Let's see. Uh, was a lot of Renaissance art too dangerous? Uh, this is the orthodox argument. Yes, that's it, it's I don't deal with the orthodox argument, but I deal with the Protestant argument. So what is the danger of beauty from a natural point of view? It's mimesis. So you can get better and better uh, at more and more accurate representations of nature. Well, what does every man want to see? He wants to see naked women. I mean, what's new here? And so the, as as the artist became more and more uh, adept at painting the naked female form, you awakened concupiscence. And the crisis came with Titian. Titian's best friend was Aretino, who has the distinction of being the first pornographer in Europe. That's where it was heading. That's the danger of beauty. And there's a reaction. It wasn't the Orthodox. It was our Protestant separated brethren in German, my, uh, my German ancestors, who happened to be Protestant show up uh, in Rome, they didn't get paid, and so they started looting the city. And they basically stabled their horses in the Sistine Chapel. Well, they had never seen anything like this before. You know, Mensch, or something here. Uh, what are we, we're t we got all these naked uh, people in a chapel, and they went back to Germany and started telling it, and what you had was the reaction to this, which was iconoclasm. And so at this point, the church is in a bind here. Do we throw the baby out with the bathwater? Or is there a purpose for beauty? And the church, because it's infallible and can't perdure in error, came up with a modus vivendi where, okay, we don't like pornography. That's not a good idea. So none of those naked uh, butts in the chapel because it's too distracting. But on the other hand, we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and engage in iconoclasm, which is basically destroying every church that these lunatics can find in Holland. There's a medium, and they saved it. If you want to know the man who was the triumphant figure who brought it all together, it's Rubens. And so look at the princess of uh, portrait of uh, Princess Spinola Doria, and you'll see how the church triumphed in the Counter-Reformation. There you are. All right. Um, let's see. It's uh, well here. It's five fifty nine. One, one more question, Doctor Jones, or do you want to keep going? You can keep going. I got so, I got some time here if you want. All right. I was going to last ask this as the last one because it's kind of edgy, but uh, we'll keep going after this. So, um, <clears throat> Doctor Jones, can, we can keep, if you want to do it, we can keep going till Zoom shuts us off again, oh, and then just... there we are. All right. Uh, well, this this is an interesting one. Dr. Jones, do you struggle with doubt? 
No. No. There we are. Straight from the guy's mouth. Uh, uh, all right. Uh, looking at the stonework behind you reminds me of the, this is from Liz. Looking at the stonework behind you uh, reminds me of the cells inhabited by monks of ancient Christic Celtic Ireland. Now they're famous due to the film uh, in the film world. Uh, <clears throat> but is this modern world trying to take beauty like this and separate it from its true form, which is the worship of God? You don't. Let me. Yes. Yes. OK, so I just uh, I just had a guy who wrote to me and said he's a, uh, a I'm a Christian artist. And how can I incorporate Christianity into my art? OK, great. You want to incorporate Christianity into your art? That's what they did in the Italian Renaissance. It was great. But that's not essential. If you can create beauty, you're giving people access to God simply through beauty. You don't have to add, you know, earnest novels about Christians triumphing over because lots of times the bad people triumph over the Christians. And, and and that's part of God's plan, too. But if you can come up with something that organizes that material into a coherent whole where you have existence and essence at the same time, you elevate the soul to beauty. And that's all you have to do. It's beauty. Gives you direct access to God, or indirect access to God. I don't want to get into theological problems. Here. That's what. That's the point of why beauty is so important. The content is, in many ways, irrelevant. The main thing is beauty. All right. Are uh, Dr. Jones? This is from Sandman. Are you uh, familiar with the works of Martin Armstrong and his computer program Socrates? No. No. All right, let's see. Down, let's see. Um, this is from Estefana. Are you going to talk about contemplative life, um, like the Carmelites, in your new book on beauty? No. All right. Um, uh, Dr. Jones, what are your thoughts? This is from Conal. Uh, what are your thoughts on Lutheran Heights? Lutheran Heights. What's Lutheran Heights? W-U-T-H-E-R-I-N-G. Uh, oh, Withering Heights. Sorry. that's Oh, the po uh, the novel. Okay, by, <laughs> by one of the Brontes. Yeah, great novel. I, I, yeah, I don't cover it in the, the, uh, the beauty book. I cover um, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen as the archetype, the beautiful novel. Uh, the, how, how a novel can exhibit beauty. But we're talking about a period here where the English basically dominated the entire world when it came to literature, and basically they were the paradigm of the novel as an art form. And Jane Austen was the lady who just propelled this into a totally different realm. So uh, I, the, the Brontes followed uh, uh, Jane Austen's example because she showed them there were techniques that she showed them, this kind of indirect discourse where she starts talking about Pemberley that brought the whole novel, the, the idea of what's going on in people's minds and people's actions, brought it to a whole new level of mimesis. So in this regard, uh, it is similar to what, uh, Beethoven did with his with his symphonies, with the Sixth Symphony in particular. All right. This next question is from Ultek Road. Hopefully I didn't butcher that too much. Um, do you think that Europeans should follow the American type government example and aim for local government 
and their equivalent of state rights? Or do you think that either monarchy or the Christian corporatist models of many European states in the 1930s are still valid for our day? Look, uh, I think that the people, the culture has to choose the form of government that is appropriate to their culture. And so there are people who talk about, you know, well, if you're a Catholic, you have to support monarchy. No, that's not true. We in America have no experience whatsoever with monarchy. And we also have a lot of experience with anti-monarchy. You know, so when George Washington said, you know, well, what, how should we address you? He said, Mr. President, not your highness. Okay. On the other hand, I was invited to France to speak to the uh, Vendée. I spent the entire summer uh, trying to practice French so that people would understand me because I understand the language. Never got to go, okay, because of COVID. I just got shut down, couldn't get on the airplane because of COVID. At that conference, the man who was the descendant of the King of France wrote a letter congratulating those people because the Vendée were the, basically the counter-revolution that could have overthrown the French Revolution and didn't fail. So I'm saying that France is in a completely different situation. I don't know whether monarchy will ever come back to France. But I do know if you were, if you if you wanted to bring it back, you can, I've got the address of the guy who can be king. So it's a completely different situation, and the culture determines the form of government. That's the principle. But every government, no matter what it is, has to represent the interest of the people. If it doesn't represent the interest of the people, it should be abolished. The main, the main problem with government is that the rich and the powerful take over and they turn the government into something that supports their interest. This is what happened in England with the Reformation. It was confirmed with the Whig takeover at the Glorious Revolution, where basically the Whig oligarchs took over the government, created a bank, and everybody was became a, a taxpayer, and the Whigs became tax eaters. That's Cobbett's formulation. That's the universal principle. That's what's got to happen. All right. Next question by Holden uh, Sindler. Dr. Jones, how does one discern pornography from legitimate depictions of beautiful, uh, of the beautiful human form? Pornography is the depiction of sexual intercourse. Okay, so anytime it's a depiction of sexual intercourse, it's pornographic because that's not something that should be portrayed. Okay, uh, the human form, uh, the nude is not pornographic. The human form, let's, let's take the simplest example. Uh, the, um, the human form in stone. The medium of stone automatically calms down the passions. So that you can, if you have, uh, Milo, Milo, Venus to Milo, whatever you want to say, you can contemplate the form without the danger of concupiscence entering in. That's okay. And even Carlo Borromeo, who did not like Michelangelo's um, uh, depiction of the Last Judgment in the Sistine Chapel, uh, said that there was uh, a place for nudity. Uh, you can depict the human body in a way that allows you to admire the form without being devoured by concupiscence. And so he mentioned, I think it was by Titian, a painting by Titian, of Mary Magdalene bare-breasted, okay? Because this is the symbol of Mary Magdalene, the prostitute. 
but it's contextualized by her red eyes where she's crying because, because she's sorry for her sins. So that was an instance where you've got nudity and, but it's serving a higher purpose. And so it, it's okay. I think that's, I think that's the definitive judgment of the Catholic culture. Uh, and so, uh, the medium is important. So when you get to high res photography in the 1950s and you got the Playboy centerfold, the price, it's changed. Okay. The Playboy centerfold looks chaste now by comparison to what you see on the internet, but that's not what's not the case back then because the medium, okay, of photography is fundamentally different. Photography lends itself to pornography in a way that portraiture does not. I hope that answers your question. And um, does uh, a quick input in there, D does the, a particular local culture or custom kind of alter that line? Because you have African tribes that might just wear a loincloth. And then in Europe, you know, if you if you have too much uh, uh, not enough clothing on in one way, shape or form, then uh, it could be considered pornography. This is a very interesting question because I have been to Africa. Okay, and uh, I did the biography of Julius Nerera, the first president of Tanzania, and his father is standing there. His father has a tap, top hat and a formal uh, uh, cutaway suit. And his first wife, he had 17 wives, she's standing there bare-breasted. Now, that was a transitional moment in time. Okay, so I'm talking to this African woman, and I'm talking about ethnic clothing, thinking of Europe. I'm thinking, wait, maybe she should go back to ethnic clothing. And she immediately says to me, well, ethnic clothing in Africa means going about bare-breasted, and we're not going to do that. And she was right. So there's something happened. There's something objective going on here that transcends culture. And it happened in Africa when women covered their breasts. Nobody walks around bare. I've been all over Africa, not all over, but I'm either in Africa. And nobody walks around bare-breasted anymore because there is some type of objective understanding that, that was too much. There's too much danger of concupiscence. Uh, the Christian missionaries were one that brought this to the attention of the Africans. The Irish uh, nuns brought it there. And it caught on, and nobody's going to go back. So I think that it's both – there's an objective reality here concerning the human body that I think we understand from experience in Africa. All right. And just a um, quick reminder for everyone, we're doing this on Zoom chat and it has a, a limit, a time limit. So essentially we're going until Dr. Jones mysteriously disappears. So um, uh, if you can't get your question this week, we'll have next week. And uh, I suppose we're limited on time here and we'll quit plugging away. All right, <clears throat> by Maxed Out asks, Dr. Jones, have you heard uh, of the theory that the Mona Lisa is da Vinci in drag? What are your thoughts? No, I haven't heard that theory. No, 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 no. It, it, it sounds uh, implausible to me. If you're asking me if I believe that, the answer is no. All right, next question. Ryan Ellis. Dr. Jones, are you familiar with the late former Catholic professor, John Sr.? If so, yes. what are your thoughts on him? Also, what are your thoughts of Robert Filmer's uh, Patriarcha? Okay, don't know anything about that, but I do know the story of John Sr. 
uh, a great educational reformer in American life who was teaching at the University of Kansas. Uh, I just met um, the abbot of the monastery in Clear Creek, Oklahoma, stopped in there for a visit, talked to him, and he is a student of John Sr. And this shows you how he inspired. John Sr. was so convincing in uh, giving insight and introduction into Western culture that many of his students converted to Catholicism. Same thing happened at Harvard during the time when Leonard Feeney was there. A lot of people, a lot of students converted uh, to Catholicism. And Oklahoma, uh, oh, wait a minute, one group is getting upset here. Uh, guess which group that was? Okay, so the Jews are converting to Catholicism because of the John Senior is so persuasive. The Jews go to the head of the University of Kansas saying, you keep, you keep this guy on, we're not giving you any money. And once again, money triumphed over the truth in American culture. So that's the story of John Senior. All right, next question by Jakey. Uh, you'll like this one. EMJ, are you worried about the outcome of the Synod being a wedge to change the church's teaching on homosexuality? Yes. Of course I am, because that's what synod is. <laughs> that's what it's supposed to do. Right. That's why we have to repudiate the synod. That's why it was completely bogus. The Germans are in control of the synod. The German, I've talked about this many times, what I witnessed over the course of my experience, having lived there as well, was the complete collapse of sexual morality in Germany. That's a fundamental problem in Germany. Now you've got a homosexual mafia running the church in Germany. Uh, the, we, the recent, we have an article on this in the next issue of Culture Wars, but Father Oko, the Polish priest, wrote a book in Polish called The Lavender Mafia. It got translated into German. As soon as it did, a homosexual priest from Bavaria uh, uh, basically uh, called the police and told them to arrest Oko because he violated the notorious paragraph 130 that's going to have to be abolished if Germans ever want freedom. And that is the paragraph, the law, preventing Volksverhetzung, which means ethnic incitement or racial incitement. Folk means eth ethnos. It doesn't mean race in that sense. Okay, now they took, uh, Father Oko had to go to Cologne for a trial. It was set in Cologne because if you just saw recent history, they had the great gay pride march in Cologne where people are dressing up like demons. Okay, Cologne has been taken over by a homosexual mob. They thought they were going to send Oko to jail and the judge, I was hoping they would overturn the law. The judge came up with a compromise where basically Oko apologized we're using the word parasite, but is allowed to go continue the book. This was a defeat for the Lavender Mafia in Germany, and uh, but the problem remains, okay? I, I forget what, tell me what the question is so I can get back to, to the answer. What was the question again? Are you again? worried about the outcome of the Senate being away? Yes, yeah, so the Senate yeah. is going out of this absolutely corrupt soil. Uh, Germany is on the verge of complete separation from the body of the Catholic Church. Don't take my word. Talk to Cardinal Mueller about this. It's a catastrophe because of the United States government's imposition of social engineering on the conquered German people after the war. And the Synod has to be repudiated. All right. 
and just a reminder for you, Jakey, um, go ahead, subscribe, and everyone, subscribe to Culture Wars uh, magazine. Go to culturewars.com, hit the subscribe button, get your copies. Uh, the August, what was it? It's June, July issue, right? We'll, we'll sure. have this this article on Father Oko, as well as, as a three-part series by me and a friend. We've been spending four or five months deep diving the synod and synodality. And let me just say, Jake, you're 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 on point. Okay, it's 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 way worse than you expect it to be, uh, and you'll get to find out if you read those articles in Culture Wars coming up. All right, uh, all right, here we are. Um, Doc, this is from Utak again. Utak. Uh, uh, hold on, that was let's see, it's a response. How the Eucharist would be capable of recovering. All right. Um, I guess he, he asked, is, uh, are we capable of recovering the state's model in the United States uh, that, that we had in the past? Yes, it's happening. Yeah. It's happening because it's God's providence. This is the cunning of reason. And so we're seeing this in places like Florida and Texas. The reversal of Roe versus Wade means that the states are now important. The states can now control uh, they're, uh, how they can now regulate abortion. They can defend human life. And you'll see a split, uh, between the coasts and the center of the country. Uh, this is good because it's the overthrow of Jewish hegemony over our culture. Abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. They, the Jews impose their religion on us with Roe versus Wade. Now it's over. Now we're going to reassert the rights of the people to defend human life. So it's happening right now. All right, next question um, from uh, Giovanna. Uh, does the Pope really have the power to completely ban the Latin mass? Yes, absolutely. All right, uh, Estefania, uh, what do you make of the prophecy of the great monarch uh, that will unite the true Catholics, or reunite, reunite the Catholics, the great monarch. It's private revelation. Mm -hmm. Don't put, the devil rejoices when people seek private revelation. Take it for what it's worth. I mean, I'm, I, I fathom as private revelation too. I believe that that's true. But no matter, even if it's true, which I think Fatima was, it's not part of what you have to believe as a Catholic. Um, all right, next question from Einsbruck. Donkeys live a long time. Uh, Dr. Jones, opinions on integralism. Well, I mean, it, it has a, a European context that doesn't apply in America. And that guy Spadaro made a fool out of himself by talking about uh, something called integralism in the United States of America. You know, it's like the unity of crown, throne, and altar. We've never had that over here. And so it's just not, it's not an issue in America. The American people have their own culture. They have a, they have a system, I think, that was workable uh, at the beginning, if, if you adjust it, and, and I think you can live with it. I think that the founding fathers, like John Adams, had an understanding that is workable, but it just got wrecked as soon as uh, America decided to embark upon the path of empire. So we have to, we pray, let's all pray for the peaceful demise of the American empire and the return to the American Republic. I just had a long discussion today with a man about 
the importance of the bicycle. The bicycle is a symbol of what I'm talking about here. Let's get rid of the car and go back to the bicycle because the bicycle is a much better form, a more modest form of transportation where you don't think you have 500 horsepower at your disposal to go out and get stuck in traffic. That's what I, 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 that's a metaphor. I hope you understood what I'm saying here. I'm saying we have to return to more modest uh, goals because we'll all be happy. All right, next question by Rob Roy. Uh, Dr. Jones, regarding teaching, the devil is cunning and the master of deception. Don't you think he can twist something virtuous like beauty and use it against the freedom of man to please God? In the same way he tempted great mystics like St. Teresa of Avila by offering her spiritual comfort during her prayerings. No. No. Saying, can the devil twist truth? No. <laughs> the devil can lie to you, but he can't use truth against you because truth is a transcendental. Can the devil turn good? into evil no because good is a transcendental the devil cannot use beauty i'm talking the danger of beauty is my is comes in my nieces and that's why i'm trying to talk about in that book uh you can uh there the danger is not in beauty there is no danger in beauty whatsoever the danger now wait a minute that's not this is we're getting prof, into profound areas here okay and i can I think I do understand something that I didn't understand before. And I think God is holding up this book so that I can incorporate in that. The dangers of beauty in a much profounder sense. So if you want the profound sense about whether there's a danger of beauty, uh, think of the story of the transfiguration in the gospel. Where the, the apostles experience God. And what they want to do is they want to build three tents and stay there forever. Can't do it. Okay. Now that's, that's as far as I'm going to get at this point. All right. Next question. All right. Next question. This is by Goy Lostino. It's a bit of a hater question. Should I, should I ask you hater questions? Sure. Yeah. Why not? <clears throat> Dr. Jones, we have our first hater, by the way, Dr. Jones. I'm uh, against almost everything the Pope says. I pray in Latin and love traditional mass. Am I going to hell over this? If a homosexual doesn't go to church and he agrees with the Pope, is he better off? Okay, I've said this before, but in a different context. Uh, can, can the devil use something good to destroy you? And the answer is yes. Okay, so let's back up. What do I mean by that? When I said that originally, uh, I was talking about private revelations. Can the devil use private revelations to bring about your perdition? The answer is absolutely yes, because St. John of the Cross said uh, the devil rejoices when people seek private revelations. Can the devil use the Bible to, uh, to lead you astray? The answer is yes. It's called Protestantism, and the doctrine is called Sola Scriptura. That led people out of the church. The main thing is this communion with the church and everything is subordinate to that. If the Bible leads you out of the church, uh, it's, it's being used by the devil for some type of evil end and it can happen and it did happen. And I'm saying the same thing can be true of the Latin mass. The crucial thing is, does it lead you out of the church? Well, yes, the, their group, uh, the group is known as 
the, S, the, the SSPX, the Lefevreites, and they left the church over the Latin mass. Now they're going to be, I can hear the rumbling in the background, but this is the case. I've been saying this since 1988 when the, when they were excommunicated, when Lefebvre consecrated these bishops. I've been trying to bring people like this back for uh, all of these years now. I met with Bishop Williamson. Okay, when the when Pope uh, Benedict lifted the excommunications, I said, it's time to return to communion with the church. And he refused. Okay, so what am I talking about here? It's called schism. If you leave the church out of fear of contamination by all of those sinners that you have to associate with in the church, you are committing a sin against charity. And if you lack charity, you cannot be saved. You will be damned. And that's not Mike Jones saying that. That's St. Augustine saying that. So your quarrel is with St. Augustine. Read the treatise on the Donatists or read the treatise on the Baptist, on baptism and just wake up and don't follow the Latin mass out of the church because you will be damned if you do. But people can still go to Latin mass and stay in the church, particularly if they have no in inclination or desire to stay away from the Latin mass. If you follow the Latin mass out of the church, you are risking damnation. Now, the indult was, the first indult was Ecclesia Dei. That was John Paul II trying to make an accommodation for uh, the people who had an attachment to the Trident Mass. Okay, that's fine. If you followed his, that was when the uh, FSSP, the Fraternity of St. Peter, came into being. God bless them. Okay, that's good. The crucial issue is, are you leaving the church? The point here is, the parable that you have to understand is the parable of Christ asleep in the boat. This is the lecture I gave to the Lefevreites in England with Bishop Williamson sitting in front of me. What is the parable? Okay, the boat is tossed about by storm. The boat is the Catholic Church. Every father of the church said that. The storms are created by the devil because the devil will always create trouble for the Catholic Church, and we're stuck on the boat, and we all think we're going to die. And at this point, we can't take it anymore, and we go back, and when you're in this moment, it always seems that Jesus is asleep. So you can't take it anymore. You wake him up and say, don't you care that we're all going to die? And Jesus Christ said, where is your faith? So he calms the waves, and that's the end of the story until the next storm comes up. So what is the message? If you jump out of the boat, you're going to die. If you leave the church, if you break communion and follow one of these things, whether it's private revelation or sola scriptura or the Latin mass out of the church, you will be damned. And there's nothing. And so take that as someone who has your best interest in mind. Take it uh, from the way it's intended for your good. Have it. All right. Maxed out asks, Dr. Jones, given that we seem to be on the brink of war, do you still believe nuclear weapons are not real or at least grossly exaggerated? So opinion on nuclear weapons. Yeah, of course they're real. Of course they're real. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. They propose they present a real danger right now. And so we have to pray 
for a peaceful resolution of this conflict and a peaceful return to the American Republic and the abolition of NATO and all of this outrageous uh, warmongering stuff that has created the conflict right now. And then a, a follow-up. Um, are, are the doctrines of mutual assured destruction still hold fast in the global uh, uh, political war? Is, Not, is there still is there still a possibility of nuclear war, or is, or is that yes. something there is? Okay, there's a real possibility. The Russians, if 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 the Americans use these nuclear weapons first, the Russians will retaliate. That's the end of mutually assured destruction. Was basically, it's so terrible, no one would dare use it. Well, no, the the lunatics, America is at fault here. It's these, it's these neocon Jewish fanatics who have driven us to the brink of war, and we have to repudiate this Jewish control of our culture because they are leading us into one war after another. Who said that now? Jeffrey Sachs is saying that. The man who orchestrated the looting operation of Russia, God bless him. He seems to have had a conversion. He understands that these Jews, he's a Jew himself, he understands that these Jews like Blinken and Zelensky and Newland and the Kagans and all these people are the biggest threat to world peace in the world right now. And they have to be repudiated. We can't go on this way. So essentially mutual assured destruction only works if you're not a suicidal lunatic. Yeah. You have to have rational people. I mean, God, God help us. Kissinger is, is the adult in the room now. I mean, even he's a Jew. He at least he's old enough to understand that these lunatics are you can't allow these lunatics to have their hands on the steering wheel. We're going to go over the cliff. We have to repudiate this Jewish control of our culture before these crazy Jews destroy us with nuclear war. This is from Oltak again. Uh, Dr. Jones, is insurrection against an evil government justified if it seems there are no other means? Under yes. what conditions is this justified? Yes, uh, if yes, insurrection is justified under certain conditions, and the conditions are basically the same conditions as the just war. So if there's no other alternative, uh, if peaceful, if I mean, we're, I, I don't, we're talking about a situation. Look, if we are, we have a clique of people who are threatening to annihilate Europe with a nuclear war, I think they have to be deposed. We have to do something, but we have to follow the just war principles here. And one of the just war principles is likelihood of success. Uh, at this point, we haven't exhausted all the peaceful means. That's why I'm saying we need to capitalize on this movement, this moment of opportunity that Roe, the repudiation of Roe versus Wade has presented to us. We have to be able to break the hold of this fanatical suicide cult that wants to uh, re, uh, restart Masada. It's called the Samson option. The Jews are ready to take down the entire world if they feel threatened. We can't allow people like this to have any proximity to the levers of power. Now, this, the Samson option is basically kind of Dr. Strangelove doomsday device, right? Where Oh, no. This is the Jews saying if, if, if Israel is threatened with some type of existential threat to its existence, we have the right to launch nuclear weapons against Germany, Europe, any place we don't like. That's the Samson option. In other words, Samson 
put away the pillar, and he brings down the temple on top of himself. That's the Samson option. And then real quick, a quick change up, because this, this is kind of breaking news. Uh, Gab recently has become, uh, they're under fire from, I believe, the New York Times. Uh, they got an email from some lady from the New York Times basically trying to bullying him into admitting he's an anti-Semite or uh, some type of uh, Christian terrorist, essentially. And, uh, Andrew, Andrew, and then uh, so Andrew Torma gave him a response, um, not feeding into that bait, uh, bait. And I just want I wanted to read this off real quick, if I can. So this is Andrew Torma's response to New York Times uh, trying to bait him into a bad question. All right. Um, Andrew Torba. Okay. When you write about Twitter, do you also describe it as a platform popular with extremists, quote unquote? Because it is. Islamic terrorists and leftist terrorism abounds uh, on that site. Certainly, it is much more popular with actual extremists than Gab. America was colonized by European Christians, and their descendants are entitled to an identity and safe spaces just the same as any other American. Gab welcomes all, but we are the only major social network that welcomes Christians openly and seeks to defend values historically held in Christian societies, such as free speech for everyone. Logos is rising. Jesus is king of kings, and we're going to lawfully, peacefully, and democratically take back this country and your culture in his name. There is absolutely nothing you or any other powers and principalities can do to stop us. Enjoy the show. God bless Andrew Toba. CEO of Gab, repent and believe in Jesus Christ, uh, the the risen Savior. Also, an asterisk with that, I believe. I believe uh, Elon Musk terminates the forty-four billion dollar Twitter deal. So it's 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 logical to say that uh, New York Times. This is strategic. New York Times is like, oh no, Twitter, Twitter. I suppose. Well. I don't know. What, what's your take on that? He said Logos is rising. It's a clear shout out to you, Dr. Jones. What's your take on Andrew Torba, Gab? God bless Andrew Torba. He's got the guts to stand up to these bullies. But the main, the main issue here is the charge of anti-Semitism. Okay? I'm saying it's over. Okay? That term, the shelf life expired on the term anti-Semitism. It's meaningless. It was always meaningless. It means basically anything Jews don't like. Well, who gave these people the right to determine what we're allowed to like? And so the question, whenever the term anti-Semitism comes up, the response should be, is it a sin to criticize Jews? That's the question. And if they can come up with that answer to that question, well, then good. I'm willing to talk. But don't talk to me about anti-Semitism anymore. It's a meaningless term. It's over. We got to move on to serious questions now. God bless Andrew Torba for that. Um, a big win. All right. Uh, Swind asks, uh, does Dr. Jones believe in a heliocentric cosmological model or the geocentric cosmological model? I have to give uh, uh, Bob Sanjanis credit for resurrecting the geocentrist model. I think it's every bit as plausible as the heliocentric model. He thinks it's more plausible but ultimately, the, the, it became a, a moot question with Einstein, who said, basically, uh, what moves around what is it dependent on the observer, the position of the observer? Okay, there's no absolute point in the universe. If it is, it has to be Earth, okay, because it can't be the sun. 
Okay. Now I'm trying to say here that as soon as Bob did, I mean, I was, we did the story. We did, we did the conference here as out then. I was surprised at all like the mainstream reporters who showed up because they understood that this was important. And what I think happened after that is they created an anti narrative, uh, to, to, to distract everyone from the truth of what Bob St. Genis was saying. And the name of that anti narrative is flat earth theory which is totally preposterous. And so you got a lot of people wasting their time on a totally preposterous narrative as a way of distracting them from geocentrism, which is a serious narrative. And that's what needs to be discussed at this point. All right. Uh, do you mind if this is the last question, Dr. Jones? I feel as if this is- Go ahead. Last question. Last question. Um, it's a follow-up from the Synod. Uh, if the Senate on, uh, if the Senate changes the teaching on homosexuality, do we have to go along with it? The Senate cannot change the teaching. Or going schism. Is schism going to happen?